morning. It has been way too long since we've been here in this room together. I was trying to think about the last time that we were able to do a church visit with people in the room, because the last time we did it, it ended up being a live stream, and that was not the same, not for us anyways. Um, so we're very happy to be back. Um, it's been long enough that I feel we need to introduce ourselves, because uh, there are some new faces in the room. I'm Seth, and this is my beautiful wife, Leslie, and uh, we work at Manitou Lake Bible Camp. I've been director there uh, for the last 10 years, and, and uh, Lord willing, we'll be there for many more. Our, our mission at the camp, just to frame this whole day, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to teach boys and girls about the gospel, and uh, we're happy that we're going to be able to do that, hopefully in person this summer without restrictions. But before we do that, because this church is a supporter of ours, uh, we're very grateful for that. Um, Leslie's here because she does a far better job of giving an update about us as a family. And would you tell us a little bit about our family? Yeah, so Seth sat down in that chair right there and whispered in my ear, can you give a family update? So <laughs> I, this is completely off the cuff, and I hope I, can, I do it justice. But I'm Leslie. I've got three out of my four kids down there, um, Aiden, Isaac, and Jocelyn, in order. Uh, Drew is not here with us. Um, as he is 16 and has license and a license and thinks that is his own personal freedom to do and go where he needs to go. So he had made plans this morning and failed to tell us until this morning. It's, but he's in church. <laughs> he is in church. Yeah. He just he, he just decided to stay home for church. So uh, for a variety of reasons. But he is 16. He's in grade 11. Um, next year is the big year for us. Um, and he. Um, is usually involved in hockey, um, minor hockey. He chose to do rec hockey this year, so that was a bit of an adjustment for us as well. Um, and he has his ball gloves sitting on my counter as we speak, so I'm assuming he's ready to play ball as soon as the snow disappears. So uh, he plays guitar and is involved in worship team at our church, and uh, he will be a third-year LIT this year, so he's down at camp probably just as much as us now which has been a bit of an adjustment with our teenage kids, uh, an exciting adjustment. Um, Aiden, he is 15 and has his learners, so we're just kind of getting all this out of the way. Um, he loves all thing, things hunting. He um, got his first deer this fall with his bow, um, which was a big adrenaline rush, I'm told, and he's looking at baiting a bear this spring. Um, that is his dream is to shoot a bear with his bow. He played hockey this year. His team is now in the finals this week. So uh, we got three games, um, intense games coming up against Meadow Lake. And uh, he's looking at, instead of participating in ball this year, he's looking at buying a horse and breaking it. And as his grandpa says, that sounds like lots of fun. So I think they're going to have a bit of a rodeo at my parents' place this summer. He um, loves wrangling and will be involved in that at camp as well. Um, and he plays drums, so we're blessed with um, drumming music inside and outside of our house. Um, depending on where we are in the yard, we can still hear him, so that is wonderful. Um, Jocelyn is 14. She's skating this year in Lashburn. Um, her carnival is at 4 o'clock this afternoon, so um, we need to get ready for that. She uh, participated in her first skating competition this year and did very well. And uh, so that's just... that's warms my heart because I was a skater so it's good to see her follow that and 
we can participate in that together and and I understand more about that than hunting. So it's been good to, to bond with her that way. Um, she sings and plays ukulele and um, loves all things horses. And so she is also going to be wrangling a little bit at camp as well. Um, Isaac is 13. He, so we now have all teenagers in our house. He um, is involved in a lot of things that I don't understand. He did play hockey this year. They just lost out of the semifinals, so um, that he's he's done for the season. But he's also looking forward to ball. Um, he loves all things robotics, and I know nothing about it. In fact, the kids laugh at me because when his Christmas when Christmas rolls around and birthday rolls around for him, he just sends me his Amazon list, and I order it. It didn't come on time this year, so he said, what did you order me? And I said, I don't know this. And I showed him on my phone because I had no idea what I had ordered, but it's everything that he wanted, so that was good. So um, we have a friend that's on tech support all the time because Seth and I don't know much about any of what he's talking about. Um, But he's learning to fix iPhones. Um, He has a drone that he saved his money to buy, and so he's learning to fly that as well, so... Um, he plays guitar as well, and looking forward to being down at camp and fixing the RC cars, which will be a full-time job. Um, Seth has taken up a smoking habit. Um, he smokes a lot of meat, and so <laughs> that's been his passion the last couple of years. Um, and he also hunts and fishes. And didn't fish much this He claims he didn't fish much this year, but it's a debate between the two of us. <laughs> Not as much as he wanted to, I think, is more the thing, yeah. And I am continuing to teach at school. I teach language arts and special ed in Marsden. Um, I'm in the middle, actually, no, I'm finishing up a special ed certificate um, through the University of Saskatchewan this spring, so that'll be good to get that finished. It's been a two-year project of mine. And I am, I'm sure you have assumed I'm a full-time taxi for all of the events that my kids decide to participate in. So I think that's us in a nutshell. Thanks. That was way more detailed than when I used to do that. It was like we have some kids and they do some things. Um, But we uh, would love to chat with any of you afterwards if you want want to get to know us better. Um, As far as the camp is concerned, um, I think I said this, but I want to say again, thank you for the support. For us, uh, as as uh, support raising missionaries, we work at camp, but we work only because of the prayers and the financial support of of many individuals and churches. So, thank you for being a part of that team. This season, we're looking at an awesome season of camp coming up. Uh, the past couple of years have been a little different. Uh, we've had to to navigate like everyone else in the world through COVID. This year, I don't think there's going to be any restrictions on us. I'm hoping. Even if there are, we're going to make a go of, of whatever we can. Um, our theme for this summer is True North, and it's from the uh, passage in Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. Just the idea that we can, fi- we can reorient our lives uh, based on God's truth and on his salvation. And it's, really, it's a really cool passage if you want to look it up. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. We are well into preparations for the summer at this point. Uh, we've got many, almost most of our summer team hired. Uh, we're still looking for LITs. We're still looking for volunteers in all different areas. And uh, thank you in advance to, to those of you here that will be at, and end up at camp volunteering. 
I guess I should back up one step. For those that have never heard of Manitou Lake Bible Camp, that could be possible. We are a, a Bible camp that is about 45 minutes to the east of here, uh, between Marston and Neilberg. It's been in operation for 82 years this year. Um, we've had the privilege of being involved since we were kids, both Leslie and I, and now our kids are involved. It's a great place. Our mission is to share the gospel with as many boys and girls as possible. And we have the privilege of working with young teens and adults as, we, uh, as they come and work for the summer. And that's really, truly my highlight of the summer is, is getting to see the growth that happens in lives. Um, Devin was a, was a part of our team for many years and probably others in the room too. But it's just a really good thing. Um, so yeah, that being said, this season is looking good. There are some things coming up. So we have grown over the past few years from being primarily just a summer ministry uh, to more of a year-round ministry. And, and so we've got things going on every month of the year. Uh, just a few things that are coming up in the next little while. We have a Gospel Basics retreat series, and this is designed to help teens better understand their faith. And it's a five-part series, and we're running part four, um, April 8th to 10th. You don't have to take one to three before you sign up for part four, mind you. They can stand alone, and you can do the other parts at a later date. And so if you know any teens that are interested in that, it's a, it, the registration's online for that. We have a men's prayer breakfast that happens every month, and I realized just the other day that I am not sending updates to the church here, and I'm going to do that going forward. But the next one is happening on April the 14th, 7 a.m., so I know that's an early start for uh, anyone from here. But if you have the Thursday free, for some reason, come on out. Last, uh, last one we had about a dozen guys, a dozen men there to uh, fellowship together, pray together. And we don't just talk about camp stuff. We pray for each other and encourage one another in that. We have a ladies' retreat on the calendar, April 29th to 30th. And the Gospel Jamboree is coming back this season. For those who haven't heard of that, it's a weekend full of gospel music live music at the camp, um, June 10th to 12th. And we've got a great lineup of groups. You can find out online um, what, what the details are there. It's going to be a really good weekend. And that's been missing for a couple of years too. So it's good to see these things coming back, and uh, we're just really excited. Lastly, about the camp, um, if, you're, if you're curious about how things are going for us financially as a camp, um, you could pray with us because inflation is affecting everyone. And it's affecting us as well. And so while our giving has been strong, our expenses are going to be higher this year. Um, we're seeing that especially in, in the area of heating, and we're going to see it in groceries too. So uh, keep us in mind in your prayers there. Um, I mentioned us uh, being a support-raising missionary. There's two other team members on the, on the staff at the camp right now, year-round. Uh, one is Jade Wheaton. Now she's uh, starting her third year with us as program director. Now, she's responsible for all the, the fun stuff that, that we get to do at camp. She designs the programming and the promo stuff. And um, so she's, she's there. And also, we've just hired um, Faith Graham in her office. And she's half-time. Uh, her responsibility is to manage the office and guest services. And that sounds very fancy. But basically, she is responsible for all the hospitality details when we do an event. Um, and so those two are both uh, looking to raise... A personal support as well. And the third component of our finances is we are doing a project right now. We have been for some time. COVID has made it hard, harder, but uh, because I said we we're going more year-round, we we're trying to build 
a facility to better accommodate year-round ministry. It's called Manitou 365. The total project was meant to be a three-year project, and we're, like, like I said, in the third year right now. Um, the total to raise over those three years was 600000 and we've currently raised about 221000 of that. So we're very thankful for that. Um, we're praying that we could raise another $150,000 before, before the end of this year, because we would really like to get the building purchased, a basement built, and it moved on so we can put it into service for this coming season. So please pray with us about that. If you want more details, because I'm just flying through this, grab me after the service. I've got some little information cards as well as prayer cards for our staff. I'm sure you have questions. Um, we'll, at, we'll be happy to answer questions after the service. But before we go any further, I'd like to pray, and then we're going to dive into a passage in Luke. Father, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you for the good news of the gospel. It's, it's such good news, Lord, that we can do nothing except share it. And I pray that you'd give each of us clarity around that and boldness to share it in our circles, Lord. I thank you for this church and how it's been a light to this community, and I pray that you continue to be with, with this church as they uh, continue to do that faithfully. And as we work together at camp, Lord, uh, we pray that there be boys and girls from Wainwright that would hear the good news of the gospel this year and that they, they'd be saved. We thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. So Michael asked if I would consider coming to help uh, fill in a spot here, uh, which was an easy yes for us because we love coming to visit our neighboring churches, our supporting churches. Um, and uh, then he gave me a section of Luke, and I understand that, that uh, at least some of the speakers have been working their way through the book of Luke. And he said, you can speak on anything between Luke 14 and 16. And I looked at that passage and I read, I read through those two chapters, and I thought, wow, there's a lot in there. And then <clears throat> the one parable in there was the parable of the lost son, and I was drawn to that one immediately, and, and I thought, you know, that one's maybe been overdone. Like, everyone talks about that parable. It's an easy one to talk about in some ways. So I'm not going to do that one. That was my initial reaction. And then I studied the other ones, and there's some tough parables in this section probably above my, uh, my training level to, to preach through. And as I prayed, prayed about it, um, I really felt the Lord leading me to talk about the parable of the lost son. So I'm sorry if this is the 12th sermon you've heard on this parable, um, but I do hope and pray that uh, it blesses you today and that there's something new in the text here for us. Um, so as we look, just for context, as we look at this passage, it's going to be Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 31. Uh, in most Bibles, it's called the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, the, the heading that they add, that is. Um, this is the third in a series of three parables that Jesus tells some Pharisees and scribes who seem to be uh, completely missing the point of the of, uh, what the Father's heart is about, and um, we'll see that in a minute here, and then especially his heart towards the lost. Um, I guess to, just to explain that they they're asking the or they're making the comment that this man welcomes sinners and eats with them like that was a bad thing. That's what, that was the context. And then Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep, which was a story in which the shepherd goes after the one sheep, leaves the 99, goes after the one sheep, the one lamb, brings it back 
restores it into the flock. Then there's a second parable about the lost coin, about um, a woman that, that has ten coins and loses just one of them, and she searches her whole house until she finds that lost coin. And in both of those parables, we see great joy when, when the lost is returned, a celebration. And that's, uh, that, that's, that kind of displays to us God's heart, in a sense, towards the lost. That, that displays to us the, uh, the, the kindness and the, that love that God has for us. But then he tells this third parable, the lost son, and he fleshes out just a little bit more how amazing the Father's heart is towards us because we see something about how deserving or not deserving this young kid is. So let's... Um, Let's open our Bibles, and we're going to read this through together, and then we're going to kind of walk through it slowly and, and unpack just a couple of things in this passage. So Luke chapter 15, verse, starting at verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
Let's pray one more time. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this text, and I pray that you'd help us to read it and to understand it as you'd have us understand it today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this parable has been read by many, probably by most in here, I'd imagine. And I've read it many times thinking that it was about the son. It was about that lost son. Surely it was about him being forgiven and and having a second chance. And I think that actually that's not the main point of this, this parable. I think the main point is actually the father in this parable. If you look up a definition for grace, that's the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowment of blessing. Free and unmerited favor. I think that this parable is actually a display of the grace that God shows sinners like you and I when he saves us. I think that Jesus was reading that was telling this story as a direct response to those those stuffy self-righteous Pharisees, those are my descriptions, those Pharisees and scribes that were questioning Jesus about technicalities and legalities instead of seeing that there is a compassionate God a loving God who will do what he will do. As we read through this, um, this story, I was, I was drawn right away at the start of this parable to times when our kids were younger, and I'm sure many of you have experienced this, that phrase, no, I'll do it. And it was probably said maybe in baby talk, but I can remember kids in our house wanting to dress themselves and it's cute, right? It's, it is cute because they, they might get it wrong. They might have things backwards or inside out and, and on the wrong foot. But that stubborn independence, as cute as it is, is actually a reflection of something that goes way back to the Garden of Eden. And I believe that the start of this passage where the younger son says, give me my inheritance, is a reflection from the Garden of Eden. Think about it. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They had everything they could ever hope for. God had instructed them, you can eat anything in this garden. You can do anything in this garden except for, don't eat the fruit from this tree. The tree of knowledge and good and evil. Of course, it wasn't long. Well, I don't know how long it was. Eventually, Adam and Eve thought, we have to have that fruit. I have to know good and evil. I don't know if they were that lucid on that point, but they had to go there. In a sense, they said, we're not going to just trust God at his word. We're going to do things our own way. And of course, that led to devastating consequences for all of us. See, this younger son in this story is all of us today. When we read God's word, there's something in us that naturally says, no, I want to do things my way. I don't want to trust God. I want to to take control. And this younger son was thumbing his nose at his father's wisdom by insisting on taking control of his portion of the estate when he could have instead just trusted that the father knew it was best and be patient. This younger son was brashly insisting that he was more capable than his father in determining how his portion, that he thought he was entitled to, of the estate was to be managed. As we read into verses 13, uh, 13 to 16, we see that it didn't take long for this younger son 
to pack up and leave and try to become his own master, his own, the, the master of his own fate. And he made an absolute mess of things. How many of us have done that? We, uh, we say, I can do it. Maybe it was when you first uh, struck out on your own. I can do this. And then you came back to mom and dad and said, help. I need help. This younger son experienced that in a bad way. He wasted his, his, his inheritance. That, that's probably no small sum of money. He wasted it in wild living, it says. He made an absolute mess of things. And whenever we insist on stepping out on our own, from the protection and the provision that's found in God's word, we risk making this same mess, and we do. See, this, for this younger son, self-sovereignty did not work. He needed to follow the protection and the provision that his father was providing. By, by the time we get to verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses. Have we had those moments in our lives? I'm sure we have. When we came to his senses, uh, the, the famine in the land that was happening at the same time in this story, it put a magnifying glass on, on uh, his neediness. He was already needy before the famine hit. But the famine really uh, put an exclamation point on that neediness. He, found, he tried to come up with ways that he was going to help himself climb out of this problem. And we all do the same thing. You see this younger son, he's like, I, I would maybe just like to eat some of those, that pig food there. No, culturally, that was very undignified. That was the bottom of the barrel for him as a Jewish told in a Jewish context. Um, but that's the kind of neediness he was experiencing. That was the kind of despair he was feeling. Then, another attempt, a second attempt to solve his own problem, he said, I know. I'm going to go back to my father and work for him as a, as a servant. I've already blown my chance as his son, but I'm going to go back and work as a servant. That was him trying to solve his own problem. He was, a trying, he was attempting to earn favor with the Father uh, by earning it, by working for it. And so he kind of rehearsed this line, I'm going to go back to my dad, I'm going to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, make me a hired, hired hand, and then I'll, it'll be good. And so he worked up the courage and this plan, and he set out for home. And it strikes me, it strikes me that when the Father saw him while he was still a long ways off, the father ran to him. Again, culturally speaking, you've probably heard this, but culturally speaking, the head of a household was dignified. Um, they probably wouldn't run a lot of places, but he ran to his younger son. Put yourself in that father's shoes for just a minute. This young kid had just insulted you and said, give me my money. He'd went away and blown it all. And here he's coming back, groveling, begging for some food scraps so he can survive. What would your reaction be? The father in this story, obviously representing God the father, was extravagant. He ran to him. He ran to him. The son immediately tried to stammer out his recited line. He's like, Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired man. But the father in this story would have none of that. What did he say? He said, Go. Kill the fattened calf. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. He restored this son in an extravagant display of grace. Remember that start grace is that unmerited, 
free favor that God offers. It was at this point that the Father displayed extravagant grace that flows from the Father's heart. The best that he had, in spite of the Son's lack of performance or worthiness. You see, this son, this younger son, was trying to get back into his father's good graces by working at it. He was going to earn favor. He was going to earn a paycheck, actually. The father said, no. You're my son. He bestowed that status of heir of son without any reason, except that he was gracious and loving. It's an amazing story. It's a, it's a story that, that I know we all connect with on some level because we've probably all been that son at times. And maybe we've been that parent as well. But God's grace that's the, is the main point of this story. God's grace is the main point of this story. The gospel is that God loved sinners, not people that were worthy. And he extended that grace not when you were ready to receive it. He extended it to you in your lowest points. That's the good news. That's what makes the good news such good news. But there's one more section in this story. There is one more section in this story that sometimes you might scratch your head and wonder, well, why was that there? That kind of was a buzzkill. It destroyed the, the good feelings that I had about the first one. They have the older son. He's returning from the field, which implies that he was working hard doing what he should do as a dutiful older son. And he gets close to the house and he hears music and dancing. I'm not sure what dancing sounded like there, but he hears this party going on. And he grumbles. He grumbles. And I think that this last uh, section was included, that Jesus included very intentionally. He included it because he knew that we have this predisposition to drift away from that initial appreciation, and understanding of what God's grace is all about. For those of us who are Christians who have walked some, some life, it can be very tempting to drift away from a grace-centered approach to our salvation, our standing with God, towards a works-based or merit-based approach. It's very easy to start to say, you know what, i got to do good, i got to keep in God's good books. You know, doing good things is important. But it's not what makes us uh, have favor with God. There's nothing that we could do that would, that would earn us favor with God. It's pure grace. Pure grace. So I think, this, like I said, this last section was included for our benefit now uh, to warn us not to drift away from a grace-centered perspective when we look at others who are being saved and even when we look at our own lives and how we're ordering our lives. It, it causes us to question, why am I trying to do the right thing? Is it so that I can stay saved? No. We try to do the right thing as an act of worship that we can offer back to God. You see, this older brother, he had been faithful in service to his father and, and patient. He didn't ask for his inheritance and to take off. But he showed a complete lack of understanding of the grace that the father was showing in how he responded to the celebration being thrown for his younger brother. Of course, he knew that his younger brother didn't deserve any of this. He knew that his younger brother had failed miserably. He knew that his younger brother was completely selfish when he left. And he failed to see that the point wasn't the younger brother, but the father. 
he failed to see that the Father was giving grace. He had allowed himself, the older son, had allowed himself to believe in some way that he was in the good books because he had stayed working hard, he had performed well, he had, he had offered uh, you know, support on the farm, whatever it was. That was what he had started to drift into thinking about his standing before his own father. But if, I don't know if he caught this when he said, why didn't you offer me even a goat to go and celebrate with my friends? I think that's significant. He wanted to go celebrate away from the father. He wanted to go just enjoy that, that pleasure of a, of a party, but not be with the father. He had started to drift away from the point of it all, which is to be with the father. That is where, that is where uh, I, I believe that is where um, things got off track for him. When we, uh, when we read this parable, like I said at the start, we might read it as it's all about that little brother, that little brat, maybe you want to call him, who just wanted selfishly to go and enjoy life and was forgiven. You see, in the first two parables before this, the lost sheep, and the lost coin, we don't necessarily see a responsibility for those lost objects. How can you hold a sheep responsible for being lost? How could you hold a coin responsible for being lost? But Jesus further fleshes it out in this parable of the lost son by showing that actually we are responsible for the predicament that we find ourselves in. We're lost without hope. We're needing uh, grace. We're not deserving of it. We're not deserving of it. And yet... The grace of God is sufficient. The grace of God is amazing. The grace of God alone is what saves us. And we, we, uh, I, I believe that this parable is is helpful uh, to demonstrate a few things. I got uh, three things that it demonstrates, and then one warning. This is kind of the conclusion here. And this is a review of what we've just said. But the the parable demonstrates our lostness and our inadequacy. To, to, uh, to just go it on our own. It demonstrates our neediness. It's our, we, we are in need of saving. That's as simple as I could put it. We are in need of saving. The second thing that it demonstrates is it shows us that our futile attempts at saving ourselves don't work. Remember that, that younger son? He thought, well, first plan was eat, eat pig food. That didn't work. Second plan was go in and just become a hired man. Maybe that'll work. That didn't work. Our attempts to save ourselves are futile. They're not, they're not going to be enough. They're going to come up short. That's bad news. That's the bad news section of the good news story. The good news is, and that this, the third thing this parable shows us, is the full magnitude, the full weight of God's grace. How amazing it is. Not one of us in this room deserve to be shown grace. And yet, God shows it to us. That's not a popular message in today's culture, and even for us personally, I don't want to hear that. I think I deserve a little bit of something. But before God, we don't measure up. But he shows us grace anyways. It's just pure love and grace. That's, that's three of the many things that this parable demonstrates. And then the warning is the warning that the older brother kind of showed us. The warning is to never take our eyes off grace as the only means of salvation. I mean, in the, in the story, the only means of staying in good books with the Father. But 
as we apply that to our, our walk with God. When we take our eyes off of grace alone as the, means of, the only means of salvation, we become like that older brother. We'll be miserable. We'll be grumbling about others being shown grace. We'll be wondering, am I working hard enough to keep grace? You can't keep grace. It wasn't earned in the first place. So what do we do about this? How do we, how do we, how do we stop ourselves from drifting away from that grace-centered approach to our faith and to life? How do we, how do we build resilience in our, in our faith in Jesus alone? And I believe it's, it's built as we spend time with the Father. I, think it's, I believe it's built as we spend time communing with the Father. And how do we do that? Well, this is part of how we do that. We get together with the church. We open the word. We allow the word to speak to us. We sit under the, the instruction from God's word. We spend time with him in prayer. And don't undervalue the time we spend with other Christians fellowshipping. We are, we are here with a job to, to help one another as believers to point to each other relentlessly back to grace. When you, when you notice in your brother or sister's life this drift happening, this idea that somehow they got to be good enough or, or maintain a, a certain standing with God, we need to relentlessly point one another back to the fact that it was by grace alone you were saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, if you want a, a verse to look at. It is by grace alone, through faith. Every one of us is susceptible to, to getting off course with the, this because our society doesn't work as a grace-based society. It's very much a merit-based society. Can you do good enough? Can you be cool enough? Can you work hard enough? Uh, but in God's kingdom, there's only one side to the equation, and it's the Father showing grace. Let's... Uh, Ask the Lord to, to go with us, and, and then I'll turn it back over to Greg. Lord, I thank you that you've shown us your heart through this parable, that it's by grace alone that our status is, is made as your, as your children. Lord, help us to be cautious not to drift away from that grace-centered understanding of our salvation. Help us to also understand that grace was not cheap, it's not licensed to go and, and do what we want. That's a complete misunderstanding of what grace is. But help us to be thankful, to offer our, our work and our good deeds to you as, as an act of worship, not as a means of securing our status with you. Lord, I pray that these verses would continue to, to um, just ruminate and, and, and speak to us as we go into our weeks. Help us to be conscious of this topic of grace in our conversations with fellow brothers and sisters, but also with our neighbors or friends who may not know you, Lord. Help us to offer grace freely as we've been shown grace. I thank you for this time we've had together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.